verses 2 through 15. And I'm going to use the Living Bible translation this morning just because I like that language a little better than the Message Bible. We're going to talk about forcefully advancing. Forcefully advancing. Will you stand with me as we give honor to God's word and read uh, Matthew 11, 2 through 15. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. He heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Where were you looking for a prophet? Or were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. If you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone who with ears to hear should listen and understand. Lord Jesus, we bless your word. We thank you for it. We ask that it would minister to our hearts this day as we study your word. May it just penetrate and bring forth fruit, seed planted in good soil. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been pursuing a series of messages on prayers, you know. Uh, we, we talked about why pray. We talked about pray and never quit. And we talked about when you pray, and then Susan did a great job last Sunday as uh, she kind of picked up the theme and shared pining for God, how, how to enter into an intimate prayer relationship with God and the benefits and blessings that uh, she finds in that. So uh, we've had this series of teachings on prayer, but we're still thinking about prayer this morning as we talk about forcefully advancing because the only way to forcefully advance is through prayer on our knees before God. So I, I want to talk to you today that prayer is more than just getting on your knees and folding your hands and hoping that God will uh, do something good. You know, too many people treat prayer as though it were just some little uh, childish routine that we go through to look and sound religious. Uh, we Weeks earlier, we read that uh, parable that Jesus gave about the Pharisee that, that spouts big loud 
high-sounding prayers and wants to be seen for his prayer or be loud about his prayer. And Jesus condemned that, saying, that's not the way to pray. You pray on your knees, seeking God and in your closet. But today I want you to see that prayer is work. Prayer is hard work. When it's properly done, it's exhausting to pray. Prayer is spiritual warfare. That's how we do spiritual warfare. We don't go get a placard and, and you know, try to picket somebody and, and, and shut down whatever we think. Uh, that's not spiritual warfare. That's maybe political warfare, but it's not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is done on your knees before God, calling out to him and asking him to intervene. So uh, I want you to see that prayer is spiritual warfare. It's often hand-to-hand combat with the enemy in prayer. Jude uses the term of contending for the faith, contending for the faith. And you think about that word and the way we use it today, we talk about a contender for the heavyweight championship. Well, a contender for the heavyweight championship is somebody that is watching what they eat, eating all the right proteins, practicing, moving, building the muscles, getting themselves prepared for the fight of their life because they want to be in shape and prepared and able to defeat the enemy. Jude says we ought to be contenders for the faith, that we need to get ourselves in shape, that we need to get ourselves on our knees and prepared and be ready for the fight of our life because uh, prayer is indeed spiritual warfare. Prayer is also how we exercise our dominion on earth. We spent a whole couple of weeks talking about the fact that that God gave dominion. I think I've got a second slide after this. One more. God said in Genesis 26, 126, make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and over all the earth. Let them have dominion over all the earth, God said. And so God gave us dominion. Well, dominion is established on your knees. Dominion is right and authority to rule and reign, to put things in order. Now, we think that dominion is given to, uh, well, let's see, a police officer. He carries a badge. And he has authority and a right to arrest us, that is to stop us in our tracks if we're doing something that is against the law or contrary to the agreed laws of the land. A police officer has the ability and and the right and the duty to, to arrest us, to keep us from violating those laws. Well, in dominion on earth, we don't have a badge of authority that we run around and say, you stop this and you stop that, but we get on our knees and say, Lord... I ask you to intervene in that particular man's life or get a hold of his heart because he's bound up by drugs or alcohol or whatever the problem may be, that that we get on our knees before God and ask God to intervene and God to stop the chaos and the confusion. If we want peace and correction in our schools, if we want our young people to blossom and bloom, we need to be on our face before God saying, God, be in that school. God, give them godly teachers. God, raise up rightful people that will minister to them, you know. So that's how we gain dominion, not by a placard or a campaign, but rather on our knees. We restore the kingdom of God on earth through prayer. Uh, the last time, last Sunday, we, yeah, backwards, everyone, that, you were right. Uh, in Matthew 6, he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I want that, right? You want that. You want God's kingdom to be established on earth. And we sit back and say, God, when are you going to do it? God, when are you going to do it? God, when are you going to do it? No, God's kingdom is going to be established when we establish it. 
You know, you have a certain dominion. You have a certain territory that you rule over. You don't rule the world, but you get to say what goes on in your house. You get to say what goes on in your marriage. You get to say what happens uh, with your children. You know, you, you have dominion and authority for your space. And so we take that authority and exercise that before God to, to get God's law to operate properly in our territory. And then we can reach beyond our territory as well and say, Lord, my neighbor over here is bound up by this, that, or the other problem in their life. And God, I'm asking you to work in that situation. And if you can, use me in the process. You know? And so then we begin to invade other territory because God now has been released to begin to work on them because we have taken the authority and the dominion we have on earth. Whether we're talking about our neighbor, whether we're talking about our neighborhood, our city, our state, our nation, or things going on even around the world, we have the right and authority to get on our face before God and pray that God will change things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? How's the kingdom of God going to come? As you and I establish that in prayer, uh, we're rulers of planet earth. You know, we can use and abuse the planet and everything on it as we please. I read a statistic this week, forgot what it was, but the, the... amount of human trafficking that is going on in our world today. That is people that are being taken and captive and made slaves. You say slavery doesn't exist today. Oh, yes, it does. And that people are bound and being held captive, whether sex slaves, which is the most common, I suppose, but uh, are are bound and, and made slaves out of them. And this is going on in our earth. You say, oh, no, we got rid of that a long time ago. Yeah, well, it's pretty secret or it's quiet. It's being held back, but it's happening. The numbers are shockingly high of the number of people that are being held in that. And you go, wait a minute, how, what, how, that's not right. That's not right. And so when we see those things or know anything about them, we have the right and authority on our knees to get, go before God in prayer and say, Lord, release those captives, set them free. Uh, we learn about uh, situations around the world where Christians are being persecuted where they're being tortured, put to death, churches burned, and so forth. You and I have the ability not to go there and intervene with a gun or some other method, but to be on our knees before God saying, God, you intervene. I give you permission. I ask you to go and protect those people and keep your hand upon them. And so we're rulers of planet Earth. We were given dominion. And God's not going to override the free will of mankind. But as you exercise your free will, you can invite him to come in and deal with hearts and lives. So if the kingdom of God is going to come to earth, you and I are going to have to establish it. Mankind gets to determine how to rule the earth. We have all kinds of governments in this world today. You know, you've got the monarchies where a king owns everything and rules everything and everything belongs to the king. Uh, Let's see, Saudi Arabia is under a, a theocratic monarchy, but it's uh, still a monarchy, the king gets to say. And he rules that with an iron rod and dictatorships where one man rises in power and just throws out any government or constitution and determines that I am the law. I am the one that's going to say 
whether you live or whether you die, whether this is done or that's done. And, and so we have governments that are under a the, uh, dictatorship. We've got theocratic governments like Iran where the religious leaders rule the country and make all the rules and, and determine how that country is going and what's going to go on there. And that all comes about as man yields their dominion to another ruler. They allow themselves to be... Now, if, if, let's say you were in Iran and you wanted to not be under a theocratic government, I guess you would have to escape from Iran and go to some other country whose government and form of government you thought was appropriate or, or that you wanted to live under. And so you would flee from that ruler and put yourself under a different ruler. Well, that's dominion on earth that mankind has under all different types of governments and religions or governments and uh, forms of government. Uh, we have democracies uh, such as the United States of America where each person is intended to have a vote and a say in how the country is run. And the, it is government for the people, by the people, of the people, or whichever way that goes. Uh, we've got communist states where the government owns everything and distributes out to those that they think are in need the way they want to, such as North Korea, which is probably more like a dictatorship. At any rate, uh, this great country was founded on godly principles, right? Uh, brave and godly men established a system of government here in the United States, saying we want to have a government that recognizes God a government that follows the rules and regulations of God's word, and, and we apply those and we establish a place where we have freedom of worship, where we have equal rights for all men, and to apply the principles that are found in the Bible and make that the foundation of our rule of law. So that's how the United States came into being, as these men bound themselves together, that they might have a country that is ruled or have dominion in the fashion in which they believed was the proper way to have it. And thank God they did. God has blessed the United States of America and greatly used uh, this nation and poured out his blessings upon it. And those principles have worked and blessed us. Hallelujah. Uh, they fought hard. They gave their lives to establish that form of government. Many of them sacrificed their lives. In they, I forgot the phrases they use in, the, in that constitution. We pledge our life our living and everything we have to this institution, that we could have this kind of life, this kind of government over us. And so they fought hard for that. And that's a good thing, and it worked well. And God has blessed this nation, and you'd think that all men would want that kind of government, right? That's, that's, you'd think that everybody would say, well, that's what I want. But, uh, as you well know, that's not the way all men think. Over time, we've neglected prayer. We've neglected pursuing God. We haven't even given God thanks for the blessings that have come upon our country. Oh, no, it happened because so-and-so was so smart and did all these great things, or this political party took power and did it this way, and this one did that thing, and we've forgotten God in the process of the 200 and, what is it, 40 years history of our nation, something like that, that uh, we've forgotten who God was and what part God has played in our nation. As a result... We see our nation crumbling and the foundations of it collapsing as our, as our country is uh, in deep trouble today. Great struggle shakes our nation. Uh, you know, the Bible and prayer and any mention of God is being drummed, has been drummed out of our schools and is systematically drummed out of our government and trying to be drummed out of our 
corporate life in the United States of America, trying to deliberately not only forget God, but eradicate every memory of him. Don't want any part, any thought of him. I was shocked the other night. I, I, I was cruising channels, and it was channel 9,600 and something. I've forgotten what the number was, and I don't intend to go back there. But it was a, a, a liberal philosophy channel. I, had no, I didn't even know there was such a thing. But they were having a, a, an ongoing conversation and so forth. And one of the lines that the moderator said, said, well, you do realize that there are people in this country that uh, do not believe in evolution. They're so ignorant that they still believe in the Bible story, the creation stories, and they haven't caught up with science, and they don't believe in evolution. He said, we still have flat earth people among us, you know, people that are so dense that they don't understand that science has the answers. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know anybody would say that out loud, you know. I I knew there were people that thought that way, but I didn't know anybody would say that right out loud. He did on television, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, There you go. Well, Matthew eleven twelve, as we read in our text this morning, says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men <clears throat> lay hold of it. The kingdom of heaven advances by force. You know, it isn't just take the proper uh, attitude or the proper stance in prayer and wait for something to happen. But it's forcefully understanding what God's will is and then declaring that that is going to come to pass. God, I ask you to break the hold of the enemy on that life. God, I ask you to open the eyes of our teachers, open the eyes of our political leaders. Send us someone, Lord Jesus, who will stand up for righteousness and not cave in to the ungodly ways of this world. And so uh, he says from The time of John the Baptist has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that you belong to, will advance only forcefully. You may just shudder yourself and say, well, boy, I'm sure glad that I got saved. I'm sure glad that I found Jesus, you know, and I'm just going to shudder the whole world out. I'll live in my little bubble, and I'll just put my head down and and, uh, not look around and not do anything. I'll just let the world go to hell in a handbasket because I'm in my little bubble, and I know I'm going to heaven. That's not God's plan. That's not God's purpose. He said, no, get on your face before him. Declare it and see it come to pass. You invade hell's territory. You take over those things that the enemy is doing. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see a messed up person. You don't have to go out searching for one. They'll come across your path by the dozens. And you have the right and authority and the duty to begin to speak into that and say, Lord Jesus, that will not stand. Lord, that man needs, no matter how much you're angry about the way they treated you or the thing they did to you or said to you, you know, the the bottom line comes to, Lord Jesus, that man needs you. That person, what they really need, not as a lesson, but they need you to break through on their life and see their lives turned around. What am I advocating? That we take up arms and march on Washington? Well, that sermon comes next week. <laughs> That'll keep the NSA tuned in for next week's sermon, right? No. We get on our knees and cry out to God. God can restore this nation. Can God restore this nation? It's supposed to be a question. Can God restore this nation? Yes, he can. Yes. Will he? Not 
if we don't turn to him in prayer as a nation and repent. If we continue down the path we're going, you know what's going to happen. You know the end is coming soon. You know the whole thing will collapse. But can God turn that around? Absolutely he can. But not if the church will not get on their face and cry out to God. We're seeing the results of rejecting God as a nation. Uh, a majority of the citizens believe in God. A majority of the citizens worship God. And yet we've allowed a small minority to take control of this nation and bring regulations and rules that are abhorrent in God's sight as well as ours. Let's go on to when John heard that in prison about the deeds of Christ. So John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. John heard what Jesus was doing. If John heard what Jesus was doing, what would John have heard? Well, he was preaching, he was healing, he was doing miracles, he was raising the dead, and he was doing all of those things. He, he heard about that. And he sent word to his disciples, and he says to him, to Christ, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the, it's John the Baptist, John the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Elijah, ordained of God, sends to his cousin, Jesus, the Son of God, sends to the person that he baptized and saw the Holy Spirit come down on him as a dove, heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, if you ever knew that Jesus was the Son of God, that should have done it for you, shouldn't it? And here is John in prison saying, are you the one? Or should I look for somebody else? You know, that had to be the most painful statement Jesus ever heard. Jesus was prepared for the world to curse him. He knew that he would be rejected by Caiaphas and Pilate and all of the characters. But his own flesh and blood, his own compadre, the, the very one who had a, a birth very similar to his own supernatural angels appearing and, and, and uh, speaking you know, to his parents and so forth. This had to bring them into the closest of relationships. And yet now John is in prison and he sends a message to Jesus saying, are you really the one or should I be looking for somebody else? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have insulted or hurt the person of Jesus any more than John the Baptist did in that statement, and yet John was serious. John was hurting. John was crying out. He says, I'm in prison here, and it doesn't look good. They're trumping up all kinds of charges against me, and you know this crazy man. History bears out that about three weeks later, John Baptist was beheaded. John could see that coming. Jesus could see that coming. And what had John done wrong? Well, he stood up to Herod, and he said, you have no right to have your brother's wife. Herod had gone to Rome, decided his brother's wife was a good-looking lady, had an affair with her, and drug her back to Israel with him, and then lived in grand style as ruler of the Jews with a woman that belonged to his brother. John the Baptist stood up and said, it's ungodly, and God won't tolerate it. You're out of order, sir. Herod threw him in prison and ultimately beheaded him. So John's sitting here going, what's this about? 
you know, if you're God, do something. If, I thought you were coming in power. I understood that the Messiah was going to sit on the throne of David. I understood that Messiah was going to rule and reign over all the earth and all the nations would come to Jerusalem and we would be sitting on the top of the heap and giving peace to the whole earth. Now where's that at? Are you the one I'm looking for or should I start looking for somebody else? So John was hurting. John was feeling the heat. He was in pain. He was in prison and he was very near death. What is this godly living stuff all about. John had been raised under uh, vows and in a fashion that set him apart for godly service. He'd done everything right. He'd never partaken in the things of this world. He'd been separated from the day of his birth. And now he finds himself in prison, preparing to be executed. Are you the one I'm looking for, or should I start looking for somebody else? What's the deal? Well, it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. Things don't always turn out the way we expect. Jesus, hearing that cry, says, where is that verse? Uh, I've skipped around in my notes here. Go tell John what you see and hear, that the blinds receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Oh, wait a minute. John had heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, so he already knew that. He knew those things were going on. And Jesus answers him back, go tell John just that. Just go tell John that. Well, that's not what John wants to hear. That's not John's question. That's not what John is asking. John's asking, who are you? Why aren't things going the way I want them to go? You know, why, why aren't you rescuing me personally? You and I can look back at it now and say, you know what? John got to go to heaven. You know, beheading must be a, a, certainly a grotesque pro- process, but very quick. So he was very quickly in the presence of the Lord. So, so he kind of got an early out and, and everything was wonderful for John, right? Well, in a, in a respect, yeah, that's true. But does that satisfy John's thinking of who am I and why am I here and what, what, what am, what's going on? Why, who are you? Let me catch up with my notes. Go tell John. And then he says, truly, I say to you, nobody born of woman is greater than John. This is the greatest man that ever lived. If he's the greatest man that ever lived, why is he in prison? If he's the greatest man that ever lived, why is he going to die by being beheaded? There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus answered him, go tell John what you see and hear. And we've been through that. Go to the next one. And... He includes this phrase, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, John. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And I could say John because he was sending that message to John. John, you've taken offense at me. You're mad at me. You're mad at the Messiah. You're mad at God because things aren't going the way you thought they were going to go. 
John couldn't see the difference between the suffering Christ and the conquering Christ. You and I have that privilege of looking backwards now and understanding that from Scripture, but John hadn't seen that. He's looking for the conquering Messiah to come, to rule and reign and power and authority. And so he's brokenhearted. Jesus said, blessed is he who isn't offended in me. Are you offended at Jesus? Did he not answer your prayer the way you thought he ought to? Are there things in life that you really just can't explain? You you just look at it and say, God, I don't understand this. I I don't know why. If you're God, why, why didn't you fix that at least? Did I pray wrong? Did I do something wrong? Had John done anything wrong? No. John had done everything right. But he was hurting. Blessed is the one that's not offended in me. Don't try to put your plans on God. Figure out, go to him and find out what his plans are. Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts than your thoughts. There comes a place when we don't understand what God's doing. And we say, Lord, I don't get it. That's okay. It's fine. You've heard me. I've prayed my prayer. Now, Lord, I want your will done. I want you. We've talked before that every man has a free will. And you can pray to your green about your neighbor. And if that neighbor hardens his heart and says, no, God cannot break through. God will not break through. God will present circumstances and opportunities. God will speak to them. But if they resist, they refuse, God will not override the free will that he's given to every man. I don't like that. I wish God would just get a hold of certain people and shake the daylights out of them, you know. I keep praying that way. But in the end, I have to accept the results that God gives. Nowhere is that struggle more clear than here between John the Baptist and Jesus. That it wasn't going John's way. And he didn't understand that. Jesus went on to say, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Next one. From the days of John the Baptist. Well, wait a minute. I didn't finish. I guess I didn't get that slide. I took off part of that verse. Uh, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is, is, is attached to that verse. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Hmm. As a man, John the Baptist was one of the best men that ever lived, one of the greatest men that ever lived. But in the kingdom, the least in the kingdom is greater than that. When you enter into the kingdom authority and get on your face before God and do warfare on your knees, you're more powerful, more effective, more useful to the kingdom of God than John the Baptist himself. That's an amazing statement. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. 
violence today certainly brings up pictures of AK-47s and hand grenades and bombs and carnage and uh, those kinds of things that we've become tragically accustomed to in our news reports. So I, I like the NIV's translation a little better that says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. It isn't with AK-47s and grenades and bombs. It's forcefully understanding the word of God, our place in God, and forcefully getting on our knees before God and advancing the kingdom of heaven. Our weapons are not carnal. Good word. That could be up there as well. should be up there as well. Our dominion over the earth and the things of the earth can only be established on our knees. Can only be established on our knees. James, the brother of the Lord that uh, became the leader of the church, was known as Old Camel Knees because he spent so much time kneeling that he had calluses on his knees. How much time does it take to get a callus on you? Any of you got calluses on your knees? Maybe we could get you exempt from prayer or something, you know, that because you, got, you can't, you've got a disability. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could develop a callus on your knees because you prayed so much? Dominion over the earth can only be established on your knees. It's not established with a sword or an AK-47. It's not established in a political campaign. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is spiritual warfare. Too many people think of it as, well, just get the right posture before God, think good thoughts, and everything will be happy ever after. You know, we, we come to God in prayer most often with a laundry list, you know. And on my iPad, I have a prayer journal on my iPad. It's got your names on it. Uh, it's got all the pastors that I know, their names are on it. I go through the list, I pray for them. You know, sometimes I blanket over all of those and then I see a name. Oh, that one needs special prayer about this, you know, and I'm reminded and that's a good thing. And, and I'm praying about churches and about what I know about this situation and that situation. You know, and then I've got all my family listed out as well, all the way through, you know, and I'm praying for people and I'm praying for people. So my prayer list takes me almost 15 minutes to get through it. Whew. 15 minutes. <clears throat> hmm. And I haven't even, reality, I haven't started to pray yet. Because prayer begins when you get quiet before the Lord. I was going to say shut up, but that's a little harsh. When you get quiet before the Lord, you say, God, you know, there's my laundry list. Thank you for hearing me. But now I want to know what you need, how you want things answered. You know, those that come on Friday night, we've got a three-hour prayer meeting going on. Some stay all three hours. Well, we all get down and we go through our laundry list usually. But after a few minutes, we've run out. And then we praise God and worship God and sing a song along with the music that's playing or whatever, and that's good too. And then we begin to pick up the Word of God and read God's will, God's purpose, God's plans. Say, Lord... Right there, you said you want that. I want that too. Let your kingdom come to earth. 
That's your king that established this, this scripture that, that you just said there. What you said right there, I want to see that happen on earth. Lord, go for it. I give you authority in my name to, to, to work at that, to take control of that, to get a hold of that, bring that to pass. And we begin, the longer we pray, the, I forget which one of the old uh, revivalists said, you know, I, I pray two hours a day as a rule. He said, but when I really have a, a busy day coming, he said, when I'm really busy, I pray three hours because I can't make it otherwise. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to learn to establish our kingdom, the kingdom of God around us in prayer. And you can't do that in five minutes a day. We need to be on our knees. We need to pray until you run out of things to pray and then begin to pray over God's word and establish his kingdom. Is that really accomplishing anything? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's the only thing that's accomplishing anything. You think getting signatures on a clipboard is going to accomplish something? A petition here, a petition there? Or... I'm not discouraging that. Go for that too. That's fine. You can sign whatever. You know, you, you should support whatever you believe, the causes you believe in. But the real power, the real action, the real force is found on your knees before God in prayer. That's where the hard work of prayer comes in. You say, well, I prayed. I, I covered it. I, I don't know what else to ask for. Good. Now you're ready to pray. Now you're really ready to pray. And enter into God's thinking and allow him to pray through you. Pray in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit pray through you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We, we know, we have always known. There's never been a time when we knew you that we didn't know we needed to pray. And we do. But Lord, we need to pray more effectively, more deliberately, more powerfully. We need to pray according to your will and according to your purpose and according to your thinking. Our world, we all know our world is in desperate condition. Great need all around about us not only over in some foreign country, but right here in our school system, right next door in our neighborhood, right around us, Lord Jesus. Things are going haywire everywhere. And so, Lord, we need to get on our face before you and seek your face and establish the kingdom of God. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And use us, Lord Jesus, as your agents to establish that, we ask. Teach us to pray. Really pray. Lord, that we'd have a hunger and a thirst for prayer. Praise your name. I wonder how many of you this morning say, if God woke me up at 2 a.m., I'd get up and pray. Are you here? I mean, you want to make that commitment before God? I, I won't even look to see who made that commitment. God, if, if you'll wake me up at 2 a.m., if, if I hear you speaking to me about praying, I'll get up and pray. Whenever you speak, whenever you call, Lord, we want to be available to you. We want you to use us. Lord, our lives may be short. We may not have much more time than John the Baptist have. But whatever time we have, we want to use it to your glory and honor. And we want to bring as many people with us as we possibly can. Go with us. Let us walk this out in reality. Get on our face before you. Teach us to pray as our prayer this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.